as we do that again, uh, I only have a couple rules. One main rule is do not ask me a question that you already know the answer to, which by that, here's what I mean. Don't ask me a question that you just want to argue because I don't want to argue. There's not a time to do that. So you want to do that, ask me later, but not right now. And then uh, what's the other one? I think that's the only rule I have. Be polite, be nice, and don't hurt me. <laughs> All right? So let's get started. If you have a question, raise your hand, and our guys will come around with the microphone. Oh, hold up. Hello? Testing. There we go. All right, so before we get to any of those, I have a question from our people in CKC. So they cannot be here because they are taking care of your kids. So... Not my kids. Well, Anyways, so the question, with your biblical understanding and Bible interpretation, how old do you think the earth is? Oh, that's kind of a good question. I think the earth is young. I'm a young earth guy. And so, uh, I don't know, anywhere between, I would say 7,000, 10,000 years, trying to do the math and figure things out. But I'm a young earth. There's other people who are old earth who are believers. So we don't want to say, man, if you don't believe what I believe, you're not going to heaven. I'm a young earther, and here's the thing. People will say, well, how come God, you know, how about the stars that are 100,000 light years away or whatever term? How did their light get here? And I, number one, I think God, when he said, let there be light, there was light. And then I think he could also make this planet look very mature when he made it young. And I use this as an illustration. Do you really think when he made Adam and Eve, he stuck a couple of newborn infants in the garden and said, fend for yourself? Or do you think he created them as mature human beings. I think so. And I, so I think he created our universe as a mature looking universe, although it could be very young. Adam and Eve were one day old when they were created, but they weren't looking one day old. So that's my answer. So I'm a young earther. And there are, like I said, good people who are old earthers are just wrong. <laughs> so. Okay, thank you, CKC. Mute button. The button that says M-U-T-E. It actually says M-I-C. Oh. <laughs> Hi, good evening, Pastor Pat. Um, I, my question is something to do with, I think, people not thinking, but if you live in a home and there's a lot of discord going on and people aren't getting along and you like the only Christian in the house, would it be fair to say that if you have a feeling that people were under um, demonic influence, but you know your houses, you've prayed over your home and everything, but do you think that they can bring their demons in and that taunt them and keep causing the discord even though you're so nice to everybody? Do you think you should have your house cleansed or what do you recommend that like an everyday person could do? Uh. I think, I think you should have the people cleansed. You know oh, I mean? they're if not the, going if, to. Huh? 
They're not going to. They're not going to be cleansed? No, I just, I, would I bring a person in and just like start, you know, what, what can a person that can do when they're just. I don't think, okay, let me answer it this way. I don't think demons are dwelling in the house. Demons dwell in people. So, so they have, I don't could have their own demons with them. You've got to put the mic up. Oh, here. it's as if they have their own demons. Like I've been. Like they bring their own with them. Yeah, like one person wants to burn my Bible, and the other person was saying the F word and your God. So I'm like, this can't be real. Are these your fa is, is this family? My own family. Okay, yes. this is family. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I w just pray a lot. Because I was going to kick them out. And try and get know. yourself out of that situation. Yeah. That's the best, because I don't think we can come and pray over the house and everything's going to be fine. It's the people in the house that are right. the problem. So I don't really have a pat answer right. for that. Well, okay. I have a pat answer, but I don't have a good answer. Well, so if anybody I would, knows, please Yeah, I mean, me I don't think there think. is a good answer. It's people, and yeah. people are people. So... I was wondering what your thoughts are on the Psalm 83 war. On what? The Psalm 83 war. I don't know what that is. Oh. So um, is, it, is it out of Psalm 83? Yeah, especially the first five or six verses, I think. I, I don't know that I've ever heard the Psalm 83 war, so let me try and look oh. it up. Maybe Rob could answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a try. <laughs> you think it's where? Psalm 83, uh, first six verses maybe. I, I don't have my Bible in front of me. Okay, so he says they've consulted in verse five. They've consulted together. With one consent, they form a confederacy against you, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the, and the Hagrites, uh, Jabal, Ammon, the Malik, Phil, uh, the Philistines, and the inhabitants of Tyre. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Okay, I don't think that I don't think that's prophetic. I think that was just what was going on in that day, oh. and those nations were rising up against God, and therefore against David. David's a psalmist. David's writing that, so I think it's just a war that was going on. I don't think it's. I don't think it's talking about something our day. I, I've heard some teaching that they believe that it's a war, and it's different from the Gog, uh, Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog war because of the the countries in Gog and Magog do not border Israel, where these countries do or did. <laughs> So. Yeah, I think it was something David was going through, is okay. my personal opinion. Okay. But I haven't studied that in depth, but that's just reading it is what it sounds like to me. There's a book out by Bill Salus, if you ever want by to read. By who? Bill Salus, S-A-L-U-S. Okay. Sorry, it couldn't be more help. It's okay. Hi. Hi. So I have a question regarding John the Baptist, and from the book of Mark, in the fourth verse, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance 
for the remission of sins. And so the baptism of repentance is really a washing of the heart, not of the body. I'll let you get to that. So, so verse 4. Yeah. Whoa. John came baptizing in a okay, wilderness John came, and yeah. preaching a baptism of repentance and the remission of sins. Hold it close. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so my question is regarding the act of water baptism that John the Baptist did right. and then later said, he, you know, Jesus, he didn't specify Jesus' name, but so, it will come after him and, and baptize with the Holy Spirit. But my question about baptism, so where did the uh, tradition or teaching or origination of the act of water baptism come from, I guess would be in the Old Testament somewhere, I'm just not familiar with it, to then John the Baptist arrives on the scene and does this act of water baptism for people who have, you know, we hope, and the point was that their heart has changed, so it's not washing of the body, but it symbolized a washing of the well, heart. Bapti Where I mean, did that come from? Baptism of believers is an outward sign of what's already happened inwardly. So water doesn't, water doesn't change us, water doesn't. So people saw him doing that. What significance, like to the Jewish people or to people that said, well, okay, I want to be water baptized because I believe what you're saying, John. Where did that tradition or something, so they had knew the significance of let's be water baptized. Is there a history of well, the Jews would do ceremonial washings, which I think they would relate that to water baptism. Like when they would go up to the temple, they would do, they had mikvahs all around that they would dip in before they would go to the temple to be ceremonially clean, which I think they would get that understanding of what John was doing in the same way. And then John was telling them, you know, this is for repentance of sin, so he was doing that, and that was a symbol for them, but that's not the same as believer baptism today. It's John's baptism is not what we practice today. That was for that specific time and place. It's not what we do today. What we do today is, according to Jesus at the end of Matthew, where he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them. So this, John's baptism, is not what we practice as believers. That was pre-believers. I don't know if I'm helping you or not. If I'm going to share the gospel with some then that has been brought up in a faith where you, you've got to be baptized or you're not going to heaven, and I tell them no, the other guy on the cross. And Jesus said, surely, surely, you know, verily, verily, you will be with me in paradise this right. day. He didn't jump off the cross and get water baptized. Correct. So, baptism, the, I, does, baptism, baptism is not essential for salvation. No, right? it's not. And I was just wondering, wondering the origins of, I mean, how would people know that was significant when John was there other than he was telling them, come and be water baptized. And they would know from him this is if your your heart has changed. If you believe, I, I guess I don't he said think those he, words. I don't think he was telling him this baptism is going to change you. 
I think he was calling them to repentance. Yeah. And part of that was an act and walking through that to identify with what was going on. So that identified them with that group. Just like baptism today identifies us with the work of Jesus Christ. It doesn't save us, it identifies us. So yeah. I think the same thing was going on there, although in a, different, in a different form for Jewish people. So if he was baptizing people in the water, not to save them, but as an outward washing, right. an outward sign, do you think that was, could have been because it was only the priests that did the ceremonial washing? And it wasn't just priests. Everybody, did, everybody, when they would go to the temple, would do those ceremonial washings on the way up to the temple. So it wasn't okay. just priests doing them. Okay. Okay? Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Okay. I want to ask you a question. I'm curious. What's your opinion about a native church, a Baptist church, with different names, different established churches, Christian church. They don't have a denominational name. What, what's the differences? I'm not sure I understand. So what's the difference between being part of a denomination and non-denominational? Okay, denominations are churches that have probably, we might just say, a longer history, or they have a certain body of truth that all of those churches have to believe that are part of that denomination. Non-denominational churches are more independent, and you don't have to believe in all the same body of truth, necessarily. I'm, and I'm talking about non-essentials. I'm not talking about the cross. Does that make sense? Yeah, I got it. All right. Great. Pat. I have two questions. The first one is, did Lucifer fall before Jesus made the earth or after he made the earth? Did he fall before God made the earth or after? Right. I don't know. And so is the serpent... It's not, that's not real clear when he fell. Mm -hmm. So is the serpent him or is it... Yes. And then why would God put um, the tree of fruit to like tempt Adam and Eve in the garden? That's a good question. So here's the thing. As God made man, he gave man a choice and told man to trust him. Let's just put it in those terms. Trust me. And trust can only be... Uh, exhibited or practiced if you have something around which that trust is built, okay? So God said, I want you to trust me. Here's a tree. Don't eat of that fruit. It wasn't magical, and it wasn't some mystical fruit. It was you choose whether you're going to trust me and follow me or disobey. So God gave them something around which to make that choice, and they made the choice to disobey. So that kind of stinks, because then it put all of us in the same, you know, we inherited that from them. 
So some people get uptight. Here's what we need to understand. Adam and Eve were made perfect in perfect righteousness and holiness to worship God. And they had to really go against who they were to eat that and to go against God. And they chose to do that. Like we sin, we kind of just sin naturally, right? I don't know if I want to speak for you, but you know, right? But they had to try to sin. And so when they sinned, it was, it was much bigger than what we would think, well, I just kind of blew it and ate the fruit. They had to make that very strong, conscious choice to disobey God. So he just gave them, he could have said, don't sit on that grass right there. And if they sat on the grass, they would have sinned. So does that, does that help? Okay. Okay, so the gospel, like for us today, is that Jesus went to the cross and died for us, and so we're forgiven, right? But like before he went to the cross, like what was he telling them as the gospel? Like, and he, like when he sent the 72 out and he gave the message, like what was he telling them before he went to the cross? Well, he was telling people the same thing, to believe in the Messiah, and the Messiah is coming. So that was from the very beginning. Everybody who's ever been saved have been saved by faith. Like the Old Testament people weren't saved by keeping the law. That was around something which the nation was built, but every saved person believed that the Messiah was gonna come and take their place. So they had that, they were looking forward to the cross and the promise, and even during the time of Jesus, where we look back at the cross and the promise. So he was just like telling them, yeah, he told him several times, I'm going to the cross. Okay? Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. Good afternoon. Uh, my question, I hope I said it right, I was explaining to a, um, one of my brethren that us as people, we will all go to heaven for judgment, right? for judgment, but as a Christian, we did that one time. As an unbeliever, there's our trice. And I hope I explained it uh, clear enough. Yeah. Now well, I'm asking you. Yeah, we're not all, not everybody's going to go to heaven. Everybody's going to be judged judgment. by God. Yes. Right? And so since we believe in Jesus, he took that judgment. We're not going to go to that great white throne is yes. what it's called. We will not go to that because Jesus already paid the price for us. Okay. Unbelievers will go to that and be accountable for everything they've done and be judged for that and they will be condemned or brought under the wrath of God forever. Believers, Jesus took that punishment for us. So we won't go to the great white throne there will be a separate judgment that's called the Bema Seat of Christ. Yeah. And that's where I call that more of a reward than a judgment, okay. where, we, where we will be rewarded for the things we've done as believers. Okay. Thank okay? you. Clean that up. You got it. In uh, Revelation chapter 7, I noticed that the tribe of Dan is not mentioned. Is there, what was the reason for that? Because they're not mentioned. <laughs> I, you know there's a lot of speculation here's the thing yeah. if you go through all the listings of the tribes 
the listings change pretty uh, dynamically as you go through. Like sometimes Levi's listed, sometimes Levi's not. Sometimes Ephraim and, what's his brother's name? Manasseh, thank you. Just like, sometimes it's Manasseh and Ephraim. Sometimes it's Joseph. Sometimes Dan is there. Sometimes Dan is not. And and so they kind of change in and out. So I don't make a big deal out of it. So I don't know why they're not in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, I can speculate, but that wouldn't do any good. So I think part of, part of Dan's problem is Dan disobeyed, didn't take the territory they were supposed to, and they went up north where it was really beautiful, which I don't blame them. I mean, it's a beautiful part of Israel, and yet they got in trouble there by worshiping idols and, you know, gotten some major stuff. But I don't think they're, like, eliminated permanently. Matthew left the building. Oh. No. Where is he? Okay, there you are. Yes, he got something. Uh, do you have go, a question? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. All right. I have two questions. Um, I was reading through Chronicles, and they mentioned Manasseh, that he had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and that he was worshiping Baal and building all these altars, sacrificing children. Um, but then it mentions that he built an altar for the uh, host of heaven in the house of the Lord. So who are the hosts of heaven? I see them mentioned several times. This is in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 5. Well, I'd say the hosts of heaven are uh, those who are the angels and those who surround the throne. Does that make sense? But why would he build an altar to them? Well, I guess. Well, because he, he was a be mess. God. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, Second Chronicles or first? Um, second. Second Chronicles. What chapter? Thirty-three, verse five. Oh, thirty-two. Okay. I mean, it's obviously bad. That's why I'm wondering why did he do that? Who? Okay, are so in in that what. Second Chronicles 32, 5? 33. 33? Uh-huh. Oh, that's why that didn't Verse make sense. Verse 5. Okay, so he built altars. Okay, so, okay, uh, now I've got the context. So he was building altars to false gods in the house of God. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's what he was doing. Okay. So that's a host of heaven. Yeah, because I've... Notice throughout the reading in Chronicles, whenever they talk about hosts of heaven, it sounds like something bad. So, right. trying, well, who are they? Right, okay. so that's what Manasseh mm-hmm. was doing. Yeah, okay. And then my other question is, I just wanted to hear your comments on what God says about population control in regards to what's happening today. You know, there's too many people. We've got to reduce the population. I mean, you hear that on the news all the time. I know God said go forth and... Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion mm-hmm. over the earth, but then we're getting these other messages, so I just wondered what your comments were. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really tough question, and I always look at not population control generally, but within families, as that's a family matter and a family choice that individuals should make on, you know, on their own, because to be fruitful and multiply some people interpret that as everybody should have as many kids as they possibly can and go down that, ro- down that road 
And I'm not sure that's what the Bible teaches. So I tell people, as family units, you need to make decisions on how many children you're going to have, how you're going to do that, ways you're going to uh, bring about your own uh, wishes or what you desire. Does that, does that help? I think it's weird for a nation or nations to make laws on population. I don't think that's right. So did that help? What, if any, would be your insight, wisdom, or discernment um, in regards to Asbury? Oh, Asbury? That Roger. revival going on? Yes, sir. Uh, you know what? I haven't, I've read a little bit about it. I haven't looked into it real deeply, but what I've read about it sounds like a pretty cool move of the Spirit going on right now that it would be great if it happened here. Does that help? So I haven't read in depth the things, but those that I have, the articles and different people that I've read speaking about it, uh, sounds, it sounds legit. Does that help? No, I no, I don't have any personal. Wish they did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. What, is it? what is it? Okay, Asbury in. <laughs> wow, in Kentucky, it's a college in Kentucky where the students didn't want to take a test, so the Holy Spirit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that, that's what that's what one person that's what one person wrote. So it seems like the students gathered together and there was a great outpouring, like a revival happening, and uh, that God really touched some lives and is continuing to touch lives. So kind of like a mini revival going on at this university that needs to spread throughout the country, if it's a real revival. So somebody did write it was because they didn't want to take tests. I don't, I don't have the microphone, so I can't give it to her. I can't find people. Okay, wait a, okay, in a minute. Man, you guys hide. You have to put hands up so I know I where I'm looking. <laughs> I did. I'm talking to the guy with the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a... Good evening, Pastor Pat. Good I evening. Have, I have a question about um, Exodus. In the daily Bible reading, we're, doing, we're reading Exodus now. And yeah. I've always wondered, Pharaoh told the midwives, and then later on he told everybody to, to kill the baby boys and throw them in the river or whatever, right. so they die. But then his daughter is bathing in the river and finds Moses, but... She doesn't kill him, and Pharaoh doesn't order him. That's, I always wondered about that. I mean, he's a Hebrew, and then he goes around, you know, he's, and they know he's a Hebrew, so why wasn't he exception? Because God's sovereign? I mean, you know, that's, I know that sounds a cheesy answer, yeah. but that's what's going on. God had a plan, and, uh, you know, she saw an infant, and she had a bigger heart than her dad. So, does that help at all, Edna, a little bit? Hello. <laughs> oh, loud here. Um, 
related to critical race theory and woke culture, um, like where I work, we, we have to go through classes and some of them are quite long and they basically state that, you know, you're inherited, inherently racist and you have no choice or um, option with that. It's just truth, pretty much is what they're saying. I'm wondering where, where you would go scripturally trying to, when you'd go to people and talk to them about that kind of thing, what, what, what would you do scripturally with the Bible to kind of counteract that message? Yeah, I'm trying to, I mean, I would, I would, we quoted earlier, Jesus said, uh, go and make disciples of just white people. And he said, all nations. So I might start there. I mean, obviously God was not prejudiced and tells us not to be because we're to reach out across all nations, ethnicities, races, whatever. So I may start there. You know, and we were having a discussion this morning. Interesting thing. Have you ever noticed that kids don't care? Have you ever noticed you can stick kids together and they play together, they have fun together, and not till they get older and learn some things? So I think we need to be like little children. <laughs> I know that's hard, but I would go to that thing and I would just stand the ground that, you know, Christianity teaches against racism and you know, I don't think we should be racist. I don't think we should have any kind of prejudice at all, uh, you know, as we're, as we're living with one another and then especially ministering to one another. So I, I know that doesn't help a lot, Mark, but uh, sorry. Yeah, the critical, here's the problem. Critical race theory comes out of a lot of writings on communism and socialism are the roots of that. If you start tracing it back, and follow who's, who these people that are writing stuff today, who they were reading and researching, and you get into all of that. And I, I just don't like the idea where because I'm white, I'm automatically a racist. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair to judge me if you don't know me. So that's where I'm at with it. So I'm not very woke. Hello. Uh, so in Numbers 20, uh, God tells Moses to speak to the rock and water will come out. And then Moses taps the rock twice with a staff and water comes out. And the end result is that Moses doesn't make it into the promised land. Uh, in Genesis 12, however, and this is where my question is, uh, God tells Abram before he became Abraham, uh, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you and Abram brings Lot with him. So my question is, with Moses hitting the rock with his staff instead of speaking to it is disobedience towards God. Uh, was Abram disobeying God when Lot came with him when he was totally... Bringing Lot? No, hmm? I, yeah, I understand your question. I don't, think, I don't think the two are equal because Moses misrepresented God when he struck the rock, and he was demonstrating... God is mean and angry, and I believe that's why he got called out on that. Uh, Abraham, God never told Abraham, don't bring Lot, so I'm not sure he was being disobedient, although Lot caused a lot of trouble, and it was a bummer, but I don't think he was being disobedient. So does that help? 
good. We had, we had one up here. Oh, okay. Um, it's going to be a question for you, how you can help us, but I was, can you hear? So I was thinking when you were talking, it brought up different instances, many instances in the U.S. now where we're clearly believers are being persecuted and how we strengthen and prepare ourselves. But when you were talking about critical race theory, and you may all be aware of Answers in Genesis as an awesome resource, but one person there said, black, brown, white, you look at me, you think I'm white. If I were white, like this, I would hope you would call 911 for me. <laughs> there is no race, because when they map the, well, we know from the Bible, God created and we dispersed and we became different ethnicities because of our different cultures of where we lived and congregated and such like that. But this fellow here is no different from me. He's just got more, you have more melanin. I have less melanin, the dye in the skin. You have less melanin than I do. So there are no races, there are ethnicities, there are pockets of cultures, but when we have to go to critical race theory training and other things that we know are against what God teaches us, Pastor Pat, how as a congregation can we help each other? Because it may happen to you like it happened to me. I was fired because I held to the biblical principles and it may come to you. So how do we help him? How do we strengthen each other as a congregation? Some of us may have a lot of information in one area. We've all got to have a lot of information from the Bible. And it's so awesome that you guys really emphasize to us to read through the Bible every year and more. But how as a congregation and then beyond these walls can we be preparing better for these times that are here already and gonna get worse maybe. I think, I think it's simply teaching the Bible simply is how you prepare people. And I think that's always been the answer. And when we get away from that, then we start getting into trouble because your argument wouldn't hold water as far as saying there's no other races because Society and culture show that there's a Negro race, there's uh, Asian, there's, and, and there's different characteristics. So for you to say to somebody in the world, you're wrong, there's no races, they're not, gonna, they're not even going to dialogue with you. So that's not a good way to go. I understand what you're saying, and technically there's only two races, those in Christ and those outside of Christ. But to go to people in our world today and tell them there's no races, you're not going to get anywhere. That's not, that's not a good avenue to go down because they're going to just shut you down. you got to learn to dialogue. you got to talk to them. And people can look around and see, wait a minute, we're not all the same. We're different. So that would be, I would say, you get in your Bible and you believe as a Christian, walk as a Christian, and the Bible, interestingly enough, 
doesn't really even touch on that. It touches on redemption and those who are not redeemed. So, that, that would be my answer. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell Mark to go back to his job and tell the people there, you're wrong, there's no races, because I don't think he would get anywhere with that. So, that's my opinion. Do you think I can uh, celebrate the ministry? You the ministry? Set up a deaf ministry? Sure. Okay. I think if God calls you to do that, do it. Go for it. Uh, yeah, uh, Pastor Pat, uh, it's crazy. All the years I've been around you, I never thought to ask you this. What's your favorite scripture from the Bible? Uh, I like the scripture where they came together in Ezra and they gave understanding to the word because that's what I feel called to do. So I want to give understanding. They gathered the people together and gave understanding. So does that help? Pastor Pat, my question comes out of Leviticus in chapter 10, the last four verses and it talks about Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering and behold it was burned up and he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar the surviving sons of Aaron saying why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. Okay, where were you at? It's... It's Leviticus 10, um, verses 16 through So, it sounds like Moses called out the two boys for not properly handling the sacrifice. And Aaron says to them, to Moses, he's, Aaron says, so if I, had, if I had eaten a sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of God? And so when Moses heard that, he was content. I'm not sure why that made Moses content other than Aaron is saying, if I would have done it, would have it been better than uh, those guys just burning it up? So, I don't know. I get, I get what you're saying because they did not eat it and then Aaron's saying, well, if I would have eaten it, would have that made a difference? 
and Aaron wasn't even involved in it, so I'm not sure why Aaron asked that question. And it said Moses was content. So I don't have a good answer for that. It just seems odd it, it, in context of everything else that was going on. Right. It's a little odd because the brothers didn't eat it. The sons of Aaron didn't eat it. But then Aaron says, so Moses, if I would have eaten it, would have that made a difference, right? Isn't that that's what I'm interpreting it? And then it says, so when Moses heard that, he was content. So I think Aaron's saying, would have it mattered even if I ate it? I don't know. A brotherly disagreement. So I'm not sure what is going on there exactly. I mean, I think we'd have to go back and go back to the, go back to verse 12. So he was in verse 12 telling him what to do, 12 through 14. Then 15, they were supposed to do a heave offering. Then it says they didn't eat it, they burned it up. Then Moses seems upset about that. And why have you not eaten it? But in, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on. They messed up the offering. Bottom line, the two sons messed up the offering. Aaron asked, would have it made a difference if I was there and ate it? And Moses kind of went, okay, you're taking, I don't know. Yeah, because if you go all the way up, it's kind of a mess. That whole thing's a mess. And they weren't doing what was prescribed for them to do. And I don't know what Aaron's answer had to do with fixing it. Not sure. I have a question for you, Pat. In the Bible, when people followed Jesus, again, I'm sorry, bad interpreter. Jesus' disciples were teaching people to follow Jesus. Did they have a special name for what they were doing? What the disciples were doing? Yeah. It's called being obedient. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's called doing what he asked them to do, sharing the gospel. Or uh, today we might call it just ministering. Okay? All right. Hello. Okay, good day, sir. I have a question. Sometimes in your personal study, you know, you just go through scriptures not understanding really what the word means, right? Or what the, the, the relevance of the scripture is to your, to your life, how to apply it, or whether it applies to you or not. So coming from Matthew 5, verse 22, it says, Whosoever should say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger at a council, but who's Whosoever says you fools should be in danger of hellfire. Okay, so what is the significance of the word raka? What that they're using, and and then the second one to that is in in this in this text here where it says 
fool, you fool, why is that so important that you will be in danger of hellfire? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question because I'm not sure what that first one, what that was, because to me, when I read that, it's almost saying the same thing. Raka is like saying a fool. So, you know, Jesus, Jesus was just talking about in their culture, right, and in their uh, Judaism belief system, if you said that, you would be in trouble with the council or with the, the leadership. But he's saying you and I shouldn't be going around calling someone a fool. Now, in Psalms, it says, a fool says in his heart there is no God, right? So Jesus may be going back to that, and when you call someone a fool, you're saying that they don't believe in God, and you're, you know, you're condemning them, and we don't have a right to condemn anybody. That's only God's right. So you are endangering yourself by making yourself that authority over somebody that you have no right to do. Does that help? Okay, good. Oh, 805, one more. This is it. Okay, um, it does come from um, John 14, in chapter um, uh, 13 and 14. And I wanted to know if, because God was speaking to his disciples, was, is this for all time? Like, can we still use this? That he says, um, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name that I will do, and that the Father may be glorified uh, in the Son. And if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. So in saying that, I guess I would want to say, like, say you've been praying for someone's salvation all their life. But you've been asking God to soften their heart and give them salvation, and it's just not happening. Is God saying no? Well, you so know, is it for us now? Yeah, I think, number one, we have to be careful here because this isn't a magical incantation that we can just speak. So when he says, ask it in my name, means that we're asking according to all that Jesus is, and, and we're following that first and foremost. And then secondly... I think there's times where, you know, God's answer can be no, or it can be not right now, you know, or it can be yes. And I think we have to be patient, and sometimes it's praying for people. I don't think we should ever quit praying for someone's salvation, personally. I, I mean, even if people get mad at us and yell at us, I think we should still, in our hearts, pray for their salvation. Because I don't want to get, I don't want... I'm glad that people didn't give up on me because I was really rude to Christians before I got saved. And thank God that they didn't give up on me. And these are people I know prayed for me for a long time uh, that I would come to the Lord. And it was people that I was sometimes a little bit antagonistic. Not real mean, but pretty surly. So I don't think we should give up on people. Does that help? All right. All right. Thank you, guys. Sorry I didn't have all the answers you needed, but God does. So keep reading your Bible, keep praying, and keep ministering one to another. All right, let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. And God, I just thank you that uh, we can know you and that we can have a relationship with you. And I thank you that even things that came up tonight that I couldn't answer, I know you have answers for. 
and I know that you care enough about us. You're going you're gonna to settle those things in our hearts for us. And I do pray, Lord, that as we walk with you, that, God, we would be people who uh, want to honor you with our lives, want to glorify you. And, Lord, I do ask that as we leave here tonight, that we would be filled with your spirit and that we would be able to minister to our world. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.